This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience we were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Welcome to episode 68 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm Matthew Baxley. I'm Joe Fredericks here in the Boundary Waters with you, sir, Matthew Baxley. Whoa, what a day. <laughs> of course, we're, as usual, Standing on the shore and a bunch of large ledge rock boulders looking out over a boreal landscape, white pine, uh, some alder, spruce, balsam, hear the birds chirping, just saw a golden eagle fly over while we were cleaning some fish, I'll add, but more to that later. Sun just came out. It is now full paddle season. Really feeling like, it feels like it's all happening now. A strange little bug just landed on the audio recorder. What, two? two? <laughs> Everything's alive and mating or eating or... Yeah. It's a lot happening out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. Absolutely marvelous day. It's noon, pretty much high noon, and uh, we've... Had a double limit of walleye already. We came in and within five minutes, I caught the biggest walleye of my my personal best. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Got it into the boat. I thought I had snagged on a log, you know, which is just the the way that I usually start a fishing trip is a snag under my belt before I get anywhere. And but that snag started pulling. Yep. And it ended up being a real nice walleye and uh, got it into the bow, got it in the stringer, and I think I started crying. You did? It's been a stressful few days and just letting it all out. Uh-huh. It's the best place to do it. And we kind of had a spot where we didn't catch one for half an hour probably. Yeah, at least. Uh-huh. Made it a little just a little ways down the lake and made a kind of a u-turn at one point and then caught one you got the next one i think yeah then got one one more two like all right you know there's a couple we got out on stretcher legs and put out some slip bobbers and picked up a few that way yeah i think that put us at about four at that point yeah four or five i think because we had a couple got three on the slips and then uh Oh, yeah. And then moved over to the other shore, and then uh, some wild things happening, including then my personal best walleye moments later. 
which was such a proud personal best that she didn't even consider keeping it. Too big. Way too big. 27, 28 inch. You thought you had a northern on the line. Well, it hit like a northern. It hit, pulled the rapala, and then it was it missed, and then it came back and hit it again. That's sometimes I've had northerns hit that way, so I thought for sure. And then when I had the weight of that thing, 28 inch walleye, just thought for sure it was a northern. Got it up to the canoe, and oh boy, and the teeth. I mean, that's the first thing I noticed is that you were kind of bringing it up into the boat is that it had the biggest teeth I'd ever seen on a walleye. It's a fine-looking walleye. I'm very pleased. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a great release. It was in and out of the water, a couple photos. It only had one hook from the treble hook was in its corner of its lip. Easy to get that out. Did a perfect swim away with the tail flip to go... It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it happened to be right off this point where this rock pile and all this structure was. Like, hey, you should probably fish here. Yeah, because I think I had already pulled in one or two smaller ones in that same area before this behemoth, yeah. this grandmother wall walleye. As you so eloquently put it, this is the kind that keeps this lake healthy. Mm-hmm. And just kept going. Yeah, it was just, we could have caught 30 probably out of that one area right there. Well, yeah, we wanted to stop and clean the fish, and you said we better, we had 11 at, at that point, and you said, well, we want to maybe catch one more at least on the slip, so we better stop now. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's where it ended. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've laid out the fish, and uh, it's just gorgeous out here. So we've got some, some news to share today. We're going to be talking about some heavy topics. We're going to be talking about some Boundarwater's news and Gunflint Trail news, so uh, maybe let's start there, Matthew. Sure. Yeah, so anybody who heard, uh, I think over the winter time, we had an episode, I was talking with Willie Bittner, uh, trail builder, um, doing the Great Lakes Trail Builders is his company out of Wisconsin. They're doing a pretty massive rebuild and all stonework of this stairway portage, uh, iconic portage into the border lakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met up with Willie Bittner uh, as he was preparing to embark to set up camp and prepare the way for the conservation crew to come in and join him. Up the Gunflint Trail. Up the Gunflint Trail, West Bearskin Entry Point. And it was a lot of excitement. Let's hear what, let's hear what that conversation was like. Uh, I just picked up my permit at the Grand Marais Forest Service office to uh, head to the Boundary Waters for the next two months, taken uh, in uh, on the Duncan to Rose Portage, stairway to Canada. Really excited about it. Going to be 130 stone steps, all native on site. Yeah, I'm currently just kind of prepping. I got my little base camp here set up with my van and. You're looking at about the thousand pounds of gear that I'm going to be uh, hauling in over the next couple days, uh, mainly solo uh, for this project to get excited for the crew that will be coming in this uh, next week. So I'm going to be paddling out my old town canoe. I bought it for its uh, its ability to handle capacity. It can handle over a thousand pounds of people and gear. Um, it's a heavy boat, but it's going to be able to handle what I'm throwing at it. and. Uh, and well, there's you know from a dolly here to uh, to uh, rigging equipment, it's it's no light task. So I'm excited to kind of get on my maiden voyage with this boat, um, and a, not a small one at that. 
Yeah, you're just. How much is that? Four, four pounds. And how many of those? <laughs> Compact. Do you have? I have six of these. I have six that are 10 pounds or bigger. I have uh, six Pickmatics that are all, you know, seven plus pounds. And then the rigging equipment is five to 700 pounds itself. They got uh, f five 20 pound rock bars um, and, you know, all the shackles and the blocks and the gear. Luckily, uh, some of my Highline is lightweight. It's, uh, you know, Kevlar, yeah, but some of it is, uh, is heavy steel and that's gonna weigh that's got some weight to it you know 100 feet long gosh i don't know you're probably looking at like i don't even want to take a guess but like 40 50 pounds um so all is going in by canoe to do this project without any power tools um, all hand done so really taking traditional stonework to its basic roots here there'll be no drilling of any battery operated or power tools allowed in the wilderness area which excites me and scares a lot of other people <laughs> well, good to get an update on that Matthew oh, glad you could get out there and check it out i am very excited to get out uh i don't want to get in the way and i mean obviously it's a very busy place the stairway portage one of the most popular areas on the entire eastern side of the gunflint if not probably the most popular actually so once that's finished i'm gonna get in there and see see this uh natural stonework i'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it what it's going to look like it's i'm just fascinated to see it well you know i since that time, I have actually been out to visit, uh, and what's nice about the, they're leaving the wooden stairway uh, open, and they're constructing around it. So anybody who's on a trip portaging up through that direction to the Border Lakes, maybe headed to Gunflint or over to Mountain or any which way, can still get through. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, But the stone... The way they're doing it and the way they're revegetating the area as they build, it will look as though those stones have been there for a hundred years. Hmm. And they'll be great to see. Gosh. Yeah. Awesome. Well we'll keep uh you, the listener, informed about the just the status of this. Matthew, I know you're involved in, in some of that, uh just keeping people updated. So we'll do that through whatever platform is appropriate at the time. Yeah, well what do you got for us? I know you You've been bouncing all over. Yeah, been been on the road a bit. I uh, went back to the Echo Trail. And so you were up the Gunflint while I was similarly up the Echo Trail. You and I were last over there with uh, our pal Shug in last fall. Backpacking. Backpacking on the Angleworm Trail. I went back to do some similar type of work, actually. Uh, I was on the Sioux Hustler Trail this time, though. A little further up the Echo Trail than where that Angleworm parking lot is. On foot once again. It was, yeah. We uh, went in. I went in with a conservation officer from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, Sean Williams. Very nice guy that uh, was gracious enough to take me into the site of uh, where somebody uh, had their final days. And right on the edge of the wilderness uh, off the Sioux Hustler Trail. And kind of part of the arrangement was I wouldn't be too specific about exactly where we were. Uh, in there, but in that vicinity, and it's where a young guy named Jordan Grider 
uh, died in the Boundary Waters there a few years ago. And uh, he's another person involved in this project that I'm working on about people who've faced hardship in the Boundary Waters. We heard uh, about Lloyd Skelton that time. We were looking for where he had gone missing uh, up at uh, near the Angleworm Trail and uh, Whiskey Jack Lake. And this was not on a not on a lake. It wasn't a scenic kind of a campsite. I guess I would describe it that way. It, it wasn't was, even a camp campsite, no, really. Not not at all. Not at all. It'd be like if you were to go walking into there right now. This thick forest, Matthew, off this lake. And deep in there, throw up a hammock. That's kind of what it was. So this gentleman, they did find some of his remains, Jordan Grider's remains. Uh, they found about a dozen of his bones. So let's just learn a little bit more about that. We're out here today off the Sioux Hustler Trail on the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. I'm with Minnesota Department of Natural Resources Conservation Officer Sean Williams, and we're at uh, a, what was at one point a campsite of sorts in the woods, the thick of the woods here, remote forest, and this was where Jordan Grider has spent his final days on Earth. And uh, Sean, you were one of the first people to find the campsite if that sounds accurate yeah that's that's correct myself and uh, uh border patrol agent uh eastem were the first people to locate the camp here what were you looking for and what'd you find that day uh so we were just looking for any remnants of a campsite or any sort of activity or anything to indicate that anybody had been here at any time um there had been a few items located nearby that that uh gave us an inclining that he had been here um, that day, myself and Eastham uh, just started working the area where where we thought, as as somebody that would winter camp, would would look for a look for shelter or or set up a campsite. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we ended up in the in the general area, and uh, Eastham was actually the first one to locate any sort of uh, items or objects. And did you find the body that day, or or blood? Was it a, a graphic scene? Uh, yeah, so we ended up locating the camp. Uh, no sign of the body, but there, we, we did locate a, a large amount of blood inside the camp uh, or inside the, the tarp itself, the shelter itself. Um, and uh, uh, after some, some county investigators arrived, um, we managed to uh, take that down and we found, again, more blood inside the, uh, the hammock and, and on the clothing items. Well, so the question that I've had for you other law enforcement search and rescue is what happened to jordan grider yeah I, I i don't think we'll ever know i think i think there's a lot of speculation as far as what could have happened i think there's there's some plausible things um an accident is what i feel is most likely um but uh given what we were what we had and what was left behind i don't think we'll ever know well the headlines that we see in newspapers and online posts and so forth uh mention wolves pretty up front, either in the headline or very early in the article when somebody's writing about them or if people are talking about them, they get right to the word that we haven't used yet, which is wolves. Where do they fit into this, Sean, if, if at all? So from the evidence that we saw um, with, with the bones and stuff that we recovered later on, uh, I'd say that or it, it was very clear that he was at least consumed by wolves, um, which is is not uncommon for for something that dies in the wilderness um i 
I didn't see any sort of, um, at least that day or any, any other day, didn't see any evidence that, that there was a wolf attack or that, that they had actually injured him or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So we're here where this campsite is that you saw, but the body was, or the bones at least, uh, that were recovered were not actually found right here in this immediate vicinity. Uh, no, they were found a short distance away, um, sort of over a ridge top, uh, the, you know, the direction we're looking now, mm-hmm. um, in an older thicket. Mm-hmm. And no skull, not any indication that it was, you know, there wasn't like a skeleton laying there, for example. No, it had been heavily scavenged. Um, we found a, a good amount of uh, wolf scat in the area, um, both close and a good distance away, that, that contained bones. Um, and uh, some of the bones that were that were located in the uh, the alder thicket were tested for DNA, and it was confirmed that it was Jordan's bones. So. Right. Well, it's a windy day here uh, on the edge of the Boundary Waters and inside the wilderness area, just around the Ely area. But this spot, John, this is, I don't have to cover the microphone. We don't have to duck behind uh, the rocks that are over right kind of about 20 feet away. Pretty wind-free zone here. Yeah, he, he, he really picked a good spot as far as shelter goes. Um, there's a good amount of firewood. We're in a fairly flat location. There's water nearby. Um, and yeah, like you said, both from, from the south, uh, from the east and from the north, it is very well sheltered in here. What do you think that that says about his survival skills or or judgment that he was using, at least in that regard? I I think he had a good amount of, of wilderness knowledge. I think, uh, in the environment that he came from, um, I think, I think he did fairly well, uh, in choosing this location, um, as as far as he understood it mm-hmm. uh there's also been mention you told me about it sean when we were out here uh, there was a gun recovered he had a, a pistol where does that fit into this storyline you know we we really don't know uh whether or not it was used it was it was fairly rusted shut when we found it uh blood will do that um it was inside located inside of his hammock uh with his sleeping bag um it it uh, appeared to be unfired. The hammer was was lowered on it, um, as if it it uh, it was a semi-automatic handgun, and as if it hadn't been fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, blood, though, from inside the hammock, not necessarily from being fired or anything like that. Yeah, correct. It w- it was in with the with the rest of the items that were that were covered in blood inside of his hammock. Yes. What when you when we're describing this, uh, we're standing here at the at the campsite where it was. Uh, there's a, a hammock that was strung between these two popple trees, and tell me about uh, a rain fly or whatever else he had for for gear for protection. Yeah, so he had a he had a hammock strung underneath a uh, basically a ridge line for a for a uh, tarp. It was a green military colored tarp. Um, in the front of that that small shelter, he had a he had a fire area where he had uh, obviously had at least a couple fires, um, and then on either side of those wings of that uh, that tarp, he had his food stored, mm-hmm. um, a good amount of beans and rice, that sort of thing. Hmm. And that made it through the winter. This happened in the fall of 2018, and and you were here in the spring of 2019. Yeah, correct. It it had actually uh, had a good snow load over it when we actually ended up locating it. So I'm guessing that's what preserved it in place. Hmm. So this is just a really dense area. This is not something that somebody's probably ever 
going to just happen upon this place. Um, you think there will ever be any more to this story as far as what happened to Jordan Grider? No, I, I think I think what we know um, and what we recovered is probably uh, probably already recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm certain there's more things out here. Um, there was you know there's certain objects that we would have thought he would have had that that were never located. Um, we only located a few of his bones, um, but just given how dense, overgrown, and uh, leaf littered this area is, um, it, it's just very difficult to recover anything at all. What's the most vivid memory of that day for you when you think about coming into this campsite and finding the blood-soaked hammock and just walking into this scene? I think the most vivid memory is probably um, probably the smell. Um, growing up around around uh, hunting and, and that sort of thing, uh, I immediately could smell the blood when I when I came into the front of that that uh, shelter. Um, it was it was pretty overwhelming. Is the human blood scent different than than deer or any other game? No, no, it it smelled smelled like blood. You know. Wow. Uh, so, are you? A, is this a familiar thing to to deal with dead bodies in the wilderness? Is this part of the job and something you've been through before and after? Yes, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been been. Uh, you know, people people die everywhere, including in the wilderness, and usually we're tapped uh, to help with the recoveries. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, anything we can learn from Jordan Grider's story and what happened here? And I think Jordan's story is a little bit more unique. I think he came out here to challenge himself and to be alone. Um, you know, he didn't have any source of uh, communication that would have worked here. Um, nobody knew where he was. Uh, certainly, even the most experienced experts in the world um, can injure themselves. And without a form of communication, without somebody knowing exactly where you are, without being with another person, um, you know, this is this is kind of the tragic end that can happen. We're off the Sioux Hustler Trail in the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. We're speaking with Minnesota Department of Natural Resources Conservation Officer Sean Williams. Sean, I appreciate you uh, showing me this spot and and sharing a bit of the story about what potentially happened to Jordan Grider and and how you came upon this scene. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for telling the story. Joe, you've been covering this heavy topic for a while now, and I know that you're diving into some of the harder stories that involve this place we love. How's it been? I find it interesting. I what I find the most, what keeps me motivated and going, and kind of from getting so down about maybe the, just the topic itself is connecting with the family members of these people. Both Lloyd Skelton from the Angleworm Trail got to know his daughter a fair amount, uh, talking with her about her experience with her dad going missing in the Boundary Waters, never being found, and now Jordan Grider's parents and his brothers and. Um, I've been been out to their house in New Mexico to meet them and so forth. So it's it's interesting. Just there's so much human. There's such a human side of all this. It's not just about the the death of the of the person. It's about what happens after to their loved ones. Indeed, and it extends far beyond this wilderness we love. 
Yeah, and that's and it's also still the boundary waters. And the fact, Matthew, you know, we hit on this on some other episodes already this spring. Is this can be a, a, it's a serious place. It's, it can be very dangerous, and to try to educate people through these these other experiences that people have faced out here, be it from the short track we did with the gentleman who capsized to our just our own experiences. It's a place you got to take seriously. So that's the the purpose of all this. That keeps me motivated and kind of upbeat too, I guess. Oh, I'm excited to see where this all. Look at that! Takes you. Whoa, what? I missed. That. I was looking at you. Did the slip budge? It did. Did it? <laughs> did it really? Is this another one of your no, end, end of the episode? No, it answers? isn't. I swear. I swear that okay, thing. Okay, I'm budged. gonna keep watching it. Oh man, it's too good. It's like it's too good to be true. I I swear that thing just budged. Well, we'll maybe we'll sit around for a Gosh. little bit longer and see if it happens again. <laughs> yeah, sad, sad soul. <laughs> If it does, I'm coming. We'll come back on and do an update. But uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's such a great day out here. Good to be out here with you today, my uh, friend. Great to be out here with you and all you our listeners. We'll see you again soon. I just sing when I paddle, feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams. So I like to sing, I love to dance. I play the fool if I got the chance. All around the campfire light. All around. Campfire light all round, all round, all round the campfire light.